We have the privilege of having three speakers today here with us, which is awesome. Um, so let's welcome up our first speaker, Michael Brown. Hey, good everyone. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Michael. Uh, real nice to have you along here tonight. Actually, firstly, thank you for coming out because it's, uh, anyone think it's like jolly cold out there today? It's just like, it would have been much easier. Uh, well, actually, coming along tonight's a good plan if you didn't make it along this morning because it's uh, nice and cosy in here. Um, my wife, uh, Fiona, and I, we've been coming along to coast for about, I don't know, two and a half years or so. So um, if I haven't met you before, real nice. Um, to meet you. Um, tonight, uh, well, you're going to hear, uh, this is our second run we, uh, we shared uh, this morning, but um, we're talking about what do we do uh, with our stuff. And um, in a moment, I just want to share a little bit of uh, my story and me and my wife, uh, Fiona's story as well. If you've been along um, over the last few weeks or so, you'll know that we've been going through a series, this one, what should I do with my stuff? It's all about um, uh, stewardship. And uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Jacinda uh, was speaking, and she described stewardship as being what we do with our time, our energy, and our money. What do we do with our stuff? What do you do with what God has given you? I'd like to say it like this. Stewardship is a life lived unreservedly for him with every breath. Stewardship is our worship to God. Which brought me, when I was thinking about this um, this week, I was thinking, well, and that is cool, but what happens if you're in a place where it's really hard for you at the moment? If it's our worship to him, what do you do when you find it so hard? We want, sometimes we want to take more risks but we end up reverting to what we know or our safe place. Sometimes we know we should give more or just give full stop, but we don't. Don't. How do you connect the place between what you know in your heart that you should do because God asks you to trust him and the reality of life when you feel like you're, you might be stuck or trapped in your circumstance? and feel like you've got nothing to give. There's a story in the Old Testament of the Bible in um, the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1-7, to 7, and it's, um, there's, a, there's a, a prophet or a man of God, and he's, uh, there's a, a widow there, um, and she's talking to him, and this is what it says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, the prophet, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing, at all, nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't, just, don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. 
you and your sons can live on what is left. I really like that thought. What do you have in your hand? If you're a young person here, maybe you're not so young. Maybe you're a mum or a dad or you're just, uh, you know, maybe you're still at school, you're studying, you're a student. What do you have in your hand? A few years ago, my wife Fiona and I and our, and our kids, our two boys at the time, went to live in America, in the Beaver State, Oregon. <laughs> this is a true photo. This is uh, one of my uh, favorite photos from our time in America. And I'm thinking, uh, 4th of July, yeah baby, I'm thinking, how cool are those onesies, right? <laughs> I'm thinking if, uh, they'd be pretty cool marching down Main Street of Silverdale and, um, and a few um, uh, Kiwi flag onesies. Anyway, uh, so that's where we were in um, small town uh, Oregon. We were media missionaries. We went there to help establish and set up a brand new Christian TV uh, channel in a small regional market. We didn't have much. Actually, um, we didn't have anything. We had a little experience, or I had a little experience from my work here before working in TV operations, and we were willing. At that stage in our life, um, we already had two sons, age seven and three and a half. And Oregon, if you've ever been there before, it is a, it's probably the second most beautiful place in the world next to here in New Zealand. It's Crater Lake. They say it's got the clearest water in the world. Uh, and at our time, that's uh, two of our two little fellas. They're, they're much bigger now. Uh, and I could only use that photo because uh, my oldest son, who's taller than me now, he says, uh, you can't show my face, he said. So um, that's his... Uh, his back there. And that's so. We had um, the two boys when we went, um, and we wanted to try for a third child, which, to be honest, isn't something you'd normally, you might normally put into a conversation talking about stewardship until you remember or realize that the healthcare costs to have a baby in America are huge. It's a completely different um, experience if you, you know, to growing up in New Zealand with free maternity care. So even with medical insurance, which we had and paid through the nose for, to cover maternity costs, working in a foreign country without the support of family on a single ministry income was a daunting proposition and honestly a huge step of faith. Six weeks before Ash's due date, our other two sons contracted a highly contagious schoolyard disease called fifth disease or slap cheek as it's known here in New Zealand and it is it's just a regular virus that goes around schools and most of the time it's not a problem unless you haven't had it before and unless you're pregnant Um, because if you're a pregnant mum it's not a good disease to have for an unborn child it would have been okay, except um, Fiona had a blood test, that's my wife, and she found out that she hadn't had the disease before, and so she wasn't immune. And sure enough, while she didn't have the symptoms, she did have the virus. And that's where it became tough. Her, her doctor wanted to keep a close eye on the baby and said that she needed weekly ultrasounds. If you know anything about American healthcare, you'll know that they're it's very good, but it can be pretty, um, compared to New Zealand, um, some, it can look over the top and pretty excessive. So at $400 a pop, um, we thought uh, you know, there's was, there was, uh, going to be quite a lot. 
more accessive American healthcare that honestly we couldn't afford. We came, so we were there doing what we thought we were called to do, ministering, you know, did a great, doing a great job setting up a TV channel, but we didn't have any more money. We came this close to packing it all in and coming home to New Zealand. We thought maybe that would be an easier option. Not that we had the money to come home either. Not knowing how we would be able to do it, we chose to trust God anyway and do as the doctors recommended. It turns out God knew. One of those scans picked up an unrelated anomaly that saved our son's life. Two weeks until uh, before his due date, in a scan, they discovered that our son, our unborn son, unborn son Asher, has had torn his amniotic sac. With all his kicking, he'd pretty much shredded it, and I was told he's a pretty feisty kicker. And the danger was that if Fiona's waters had broken naturally, the amniotic sac could have got tangled up with his umbilical cord, and that may not have ended very well. So Fiona was immediately sent to hospital, and I'm happy to say that Asher was born safely and naturally the very next day. There he is. Uh, we call him our uh, Amerikiwi because, you know, he's uh, got a New Zealand passport and uh, his American passport. Um, enough qualifications one day, potentially, uh, you know, to be an American president. If you'd, but who would want that? I'd, you know, I don't know. Perhaps. God looked after Asher and us, but we had to choose to be faithful and trust in him. He is the one who, he's the one who had taken us on this faith adventure to live and work in another land. Not that we had felt that we had much to offer, but he was using that which was in our hand anyway. In spite of not knowing how we could cover the astronomical, what we thought were astronomical healthcare costs, we chose to carry on giving. We didn't stop our weekly tithe, as tempting as that was. It's just something that we've always done and we um, know that God's asked us to do. And his provision came when it was least expected. A nearby church, not far from where we lived, and it wasn't the one that we were going to, they started bringing us weekly food boxes we didn't even go to their church. It's just incredible, just the, the power of a, of a church community that's just the impact on reaching out to those in need around them. God provided not only our happy seven-year-old that we have today, but that year he also covered all of our bills, all $13,000 of medical expenses that year. And I wouldn't say this except to testify um, to God's goodness, all that on a single salary of $46,000 that year. Which for a family of five, you know what, I'm thinking, and honestly, I'd forgotten that. And I looked back uh, yesterday and I thought, wow, God, you are amazing. And sometimes I think you're in the midst of it that you actually think, God, this is tough. And sometimes when you reflect, you have to reflect, stop and reflect back on what God has actually done and take account of things. God, you provided. Even though it was hard, we didn't stop giving or tithing or serving or volunteering or doing what we knew God had called us to do. With what little we thought we had, we offered it to God because we knew it was what and where he wanted us to be. And God was faithful. 
That's my encouragement to you today. Today, if you're struggling, not knowing what to do, or if you feel like you've got nothing more to give, let this be my encouragement. Have a look at what God has placed in your hand. What do you have? And if you need to, ask Him to show you. Don't stop giving your time or your energy or your money. Don't give up on worshipping Him with all that you have. Thomas Merton says, Every breath we draw is a gift of God's love. Every moment of existence is a grace. Every breath that you have, it's a gift from God. And you get to choose how to use it. If you have time, volunteer. Come early. Serve on the team here on Sunday evenings or mornings or during the week. Make, help make church happen so that when people come into this room for the first time, they can encounter a community, a family that loves Jesus. Can you visit a mate who might be lonely? Can you cook a meal? We'll go or take someone out for coffee. Most weeks, there are a team of people in this church doing what they can and saying, hey, there's someone uh, in need. I don't have much extra time, but I could take someone out for coffee or I could cook one more meal for, my, for a family that's got a lot going on in their life. A couple of weeks ago, Jacinda spoke about tithing. And I honestly think that the greatest beneficiary of your giving, whether that's your time, not just money, but your time and your energy, it's not the church, but it's you and the way that God will grow your heart. When you worship Him as He created you to, with every moment of your time and all the energy that He has given you and all the things that He's placed in your hand, that's the place where I think God reveals his faithfulness to you the most. It's my encouragement to you. Cool. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Thank you, Michael. Um, how good is God, man? He's awesome. Um, so next up, we have Mitch to come speak to us. So give a big round of applause for Mitch. I'm part of the exchange program, Matt and Jacinda, in America, so I came out here from America to talk to you guys tonight, <laughs> even though I've lived here for over 12 years now. so I like to believe that I'm a person that I like to take complicated things and make them pretty simple. You know, it's like I talk to people about computers a lot in my job and stuff, and it just gets very complicated for people, and yet you can simplify it really easily. So I look at church like that, and I think about church, and I think... What is church? It's a place to come to meet God, to get to know who God is, to grow up and develop your relationship with God, and then to take the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given me to be able to um, help people to get to know God, to grow up in their relationship with God so they can use their gifts, talents, and abilities to introduce people to God. And it just keeps going on and on and on. That's pretty much all church is when you get right down to it. How we do it might be through singing, might be through sending a meal out, like you know, Michael had said. It might be, there's lots of ways that we can do that, but that's really the crux of what church is to me. And it makes it very easy for me. Um, I'm going to have to use these because not only do I wear contact lenses, I have to use reading glasses. So, 
Over 32 years ago, I walked into an elementary school similar to the one we use on Sunday mornings. I was impressed that the people take the time to convert it into a church because it takes a lot of effort to do that. If, has anybody been on the serving team there? It's a lot of work that goes into making an elementary school or school um, into a church. This little church in a rural town had been born out of two people who had been being obedient to God. Their names were Wade and Donna Sandrich, who lived, and I knew them personally, they lived a very sacrificial life. They had talked with a guy who owned the local pub, Bob Carson. And Bob was, uh, they asked if they could do what they call the full gospel businessman's uh, meeting in his pub. Now, Bob was probably the roughest man in town. He was his own bouncer in his pub, to be honest with you. And so he was just this really rough, gruff guy. For some reason, they went to Bob and asked him to do this, and he said yes. And then they had church that night, and all of the waitresses got saved. And Bob didn't have any staff after that. Fortunately, Bob then gave his life to Christ. And he got together with Wade and Donna, and they started having church in the elementary school. And that's how their church in, in uh, Thermont got started. Not too long afterwards, a punky 27-year-old drug addict followed an ex-stripper who had recently recommitted her life to Christ into that school, and God saved that young man out of a life of drug addiction, drinking, a severe smoking habit, anger, and basically a lifestyle that was certain to lead him to a short and tragic ending. That young man is here before you now, 32 years later. And I'm much older, and I've been blessed with what others did before me. I have not since touched drugs, cigarettes, since that night I was delivered out of drug addiction, alcohol, partying, anger. I smoked a pack and a half of cigarettes a night, a, a day, and I smoked three packs on Friday and Saturday nights when I was going out drinking. And never touched a cigarette after that. So that was the miracle of God working in somebody's life. And a lot of people are amazed at that. And I thought that was just normally what God did, because I never went to church. And while I'm amazed at what God delivered me out of, I'm more amazed at what he delivered me into. And that is a relationship with God and this group of people called the church. Now, the church has a rich heritage of people that paid it forward, starting with Jesus on the cross. He kind of kicked it all off, if you would. Jesus made the initial investment for our debt of sin that needed to be paid. After Jesus, you have the 12 disciples that went out there and start telling people about him and, you know, the good news. Uh, most of them died as martyrs. Most of them were killed for what they believed. And then you have a lot of other people that were martyred because of their faith. And then this dude, Martin Luther, he puts on the church a 95 thesis saying we're doing it wrong, basically. And because he did this, and because it was, he was saying it's by faith we're saved, not by works, that was the crux of the message of what he was saying, they actually tried to kill him, and he had to run. So many people have sacrificed money, time, energy, even their lives, way before I ever walked into that school, so that I could walk into that school. I and those who God has allowed me to influence for him have and will be eternally grateful for their sacrifices. Each of us are given one life. Before being a Christian, I lived my life my way. I was the boss of me. I was the run, one running the show. 
That wasn't actually true, as I didn't understand that there was a spiritual world where things were happening, where these two, two individuals, Jesus and Satan, were warring for the souls of men and for my soul. The way to get on the winning side is by voluntarily giving my life to Christ. So I had to do something. I had to accept the sacrifice that was made. Pretty much everyone wants to go to heaven. Anybody here not want to go to heaven? That's just kind of stupid, isn't it? How many here actually say, yeah, I want to go to hell? You know, that's just dumb, isn't it? But the thing is, so, so I, under, I, I sit down and I look at it and I think, so why wouldn't people want to give their heart to Jesus? Well, I've generally found that there are two types of people that commit their lives to Christ. Those that were raised in the church. How many here have been raised in the church for the most part? Okay. So how many here have not been raised in the church? Okay. I'm one of them. And I, like I said, I belong to that second group. I noticed that a lot of people come forward and give their hearts to Jesus, especially people that were in the church. How many here gave their hearts to Jesus below the age of seven? Okay. So these people that gave their heart to Jesus at a fairly young age, when they get older, they usually have to make a decision about truly giving their life to Christ then. This is allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life or the boss. It's trusting Jesus. Because a lot of the times people, you know, that, you know you, you've got that, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus, which is an easy thing because I'm going to love you, but then I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to give myself to Jesus. And that's a harder choice because that means all my stuff, all my everything is now given to you, and I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I've also observed that many people think that giving Christ lordship over their lives and everything in it will hold you back in some way or deprive you of something fun this world has to offer. Reality is, holding on to things actually holds us back from the true joy, peace, and the abundance of what God has for us. One of the other things that I learned is that in my lifetime is giving my all to Jesus, which, trust me, even after all of these years, I haven't mastered that, but it's a desire of my heart to want to give my all to Jesus, is the key to having the greatest level of happiness I can achieve. While I have a good life, I would by far be considered a wealthy man. I do believe I have been fortunate enough to understand a bit of something about stewardship. I read somewhere that people who think they own stuff feel they have rights. People who are stewards have responsibilities to the person that owns the stuff. If we look at everything in our care from our stewardship perspective, we will see it in a totally different light. Now, could you show the car? See this car? It's got rust bits on the front, and it's kind of, it's old. It's a 1999 Holden. It used to have a license plate that said God Chick. Uh, what was it? G-O-D-C-H-K, right? See, see, yeah. Anyway, yeah, and we've had it since 19, or 2000. So it's a great car. It's bulletproof, man. It doesn't break very often, and it's just a great car. But the thing about it is, is we have three cars. So this car has been the loaner. We've lived on the coast for four years. We probably have hardly, if ever, used it during those, that four-year stint. We lend it out. We've lent it out to people. And in lending it out to people, uh, we, we just would find somebody who had a need, and we would just say, here, you can use the car. Now, being stewards of it and also having two other cars, we were lending it out to those we found had a need. 
we only seemed to have it when it needed a warrant of fitness or when it broke down. And so during these times, those we entrusted it with would bring it to us and we would get it sorted or fixed. If it broke, it was brought to the owner, us, who fixed it and gave it back. As long as the person borrowing it was a good steward of it, we didn't mind lending it to them. If they abused it, being the owner of it, we would be compelled to take it back so it's available for the next time it's needed by somebody who will be responsible for it. And if you read the Bible, there's a part in the Bible where God gave a certain amount of talents or money to each person and said, you know, I want to see how you handle it. And then what happened is, is the people that handled it well got more. People that didn't handle it had it taken away. And this is kind of the same thing where we get the perspective of the car from. Now, the same is true with home, our possessions, our money, and even our bodies. These are things are God's now, and we're the caretaker of it. So I don't even own this. This is God, so I'm supposed to take good care of it. The Bible says my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I need to take care of that thing. Okay, so, and if you start getting this, if you, if you get a hold of this, it's really liberating. Because now all of a sudden, I'm taking care of it for God instead of I'm responsible for it. There's a great peace about being able to bring it to God when things go wrong, knowing that if I'm a good steward, God can trust me with more. He will also take care of anything that gets broken. If we've truly given all, our, of all, given our all to Christ, then we can go in confidence asking and knowing that he will take care of whatever our needs are. He sees us as trying to be good stewards of the life he has given us. Next to the lives that God has entrusted us with, the next greatest thing he has entrusted in our care is his church. The church is the hope of the world, believe it or not. And so you all, everybody in this place, is the hope of this world. In the beginning of this particular church, a few people got together to start it, but now it's up to all of us participating and ongoing in growth. This means us being good stewards with our gifts, talents, resources, and yes, money. The investment you make here will be the only thing that goes forward in the next life, and, that, and what we realistically matter from your life you live on this earth. Now, at one time in my life, I was made the CEO of a ministry that helped people to overcome life-controlling issues like addictions and things like that. Kind of makes sense since God pulled me out of it, doesn't it? But, um, and I had this one lady, she used to send an offering to us. And the offering was two 25-cent coins. So they have, they're called quarters in the States. And she, it cost her like 37 cents to mail these things to me. And she would always have a little note in it that would say, thank you so much for the work that you guys do. And, you know, and then she would mail us this 50 cents. And I used to always have the people that it's got the mail bring me that, those two 25-cent pieces in that note, and it sat on my desk every month. Because it was important for me to understand that this lady probably gave sacrificially that 20 or that 50 cents and the people were sacrificing so that that ministry could work um, if you go to the next slide mark 12 41 and 44 then jesus sat down opposite the temple alms box and watched the people putting their money into it a great many rich people put in large sums then a poor widow came up and dropped in their two little coins worth together about a half penny Jesus called his disciples to his side and said to them, Believe me, this poor widow has put in more than all the others, 
for they have all put in what they can, easily afford. But she, in her poverty, who needs so much, has given away everything, her whole living. I, I've been fortunate enough to be asked, and I serve on the church management team. So the money that was collected tonight, we're responsible for budgeting it and things of this nature. I can tell you that I still think the same way about being a steward of God's money. It's very important to us that everything is spent wisely and in a good way and carefully so that God's money goes the furthest that it can go. And I know the other guys feel the same way. I've never emptied out my entire bank account, but Shirley and I have given from our lack. When we started our business, we spent savings and went into debt to get the business going, up and going. But we always gave to the church. So it didn't matter. You know, you know how they say you, spend, you give 10%, is that your tithe? Well, there were weeks when we probably should have been taken out because we took a loss, you know, but you don't do that. But it's just if you were going to go on that ratio. But it's not that. It's consistently given to God, knowing that God's going to take care of you. And if you do that, he is faithful, and I can guarantee that. We didn't do it so that I can get up here and brag about how good, good of Christians we are, because trust me, we all have our faults. Some of you know us pretty well, and you know what they are. Others, God knows, so that's his stuff. We did it because while investing in the future of our business is important, we both have always known that the better and the best investment is in God's work in his kingdom. One thing I've learned from the story of the woman and the two coins is that Jesus does watch what we give and when we give sacrificially from the heart, it really matters to him. Now, I want things that I do to matter to Jesus. I will always be very grateful that others paid it forward for us. There's an old saying that you can't outgive God, and after 32 years, I can attest that is true. Let's pay it forward for those God has put in our future, knowing that God will bless us as good stewards while we do it. And that's my bit. Thank you, Mitch. Um, I really liked what he said about um, we should consistently give to God knowing that God will look after us. So that was really awesome. Um, and then our third speaker is Phil. So give him a warm welcome, everybody. Fantastic. Thanks, Tash. All righty. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good to see you all. Um, some of you are tigers for punishment. This is twice. So um, I appreciate your, uh, your patience and faithfulness being here tonight. Uh, for some of you, it'll be new. Um, look, I'm, um, I, love, um, I love it to be interactive. If there's stuff I'm talking about uh, here that kind of raises a question in your mind, shout it out. Um, if I don't have the answer, uh, somebody in the room may do, but um, we're all on a journey. And um, I'm a little bit older um, than some of you here. And um, maybe I've learned a thing or two along the way. Maybe the years of, I've lived here, maybe I've still got a lot to learn. In fact, there's no doubt about it, I still do. And people younger than me have things to teach me. So um, if there's anything I touch on today that's kind of a bit confusing, just yell it out. Um, I'm really happy to um, pause and have a bit of a yak about it. What I'm going to do here, though, uh, the way I've put this together is I've got just some ideas, some thoughts, okay? And, and to start with, they might look a little bit kind of um, uh, 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 separate. These ideas are just going to kind of appear, we're going to grab them, we're going to put them, one idea here, put another idea here. When I get to the end, I'm going to pull it all together, and I hope it's going to make sense, all right? So um, journey with me, and hopefully we'll get there. So the first idea that I want to put before you is that life is short. Now, um, 
that's probably uh, more true for me than some of us in the room here today, but I'm, uh, I'm going to put you through a little bit of an exercise here that can be a little bit sobering, a little bit scary. Alrighty, let's put that first slide up. Okay, that is a page full of tiny little boxes, and uh, across, the, across the top is 52 boxes, and down the side is 80 boxes. Now, a little bit of artistic license, I couldn't quite get 80 on there, but just bear with me, and um, it's 80-ish. All right. So this represents, if you like, a good life. It represents, a, I mean, if, you know, I hope many of us here live beyond 80, well beyond 80, but I think we'd all agree that 80 represents a fairly full life. And this would be a typical life. And if, um, if we were to kind of tick off the weeks as we went, uh, this is what uh, the first year would look like. Okay, that'd be the first year. If you celebrate your first birthday, you'd have a bunch of boxes that have been filled in. And if we just carry on, this is what it would look like on your fifth birthday, and if you click through again, this is what it would look like on your 10th birthday. So does this all make sense so far? We know what we're doing here. This is a life. Every time a week passes, we color in a box. Okay, let's take it on. <clears throat> Alrighty, 21 years. 21 years. Okay, so um, in, the, in the house tonight, anyone in their 20s? Anyone in their 20s? Okay, a lot of people in the room in their 20s. All right, let's see what 20s look like. What's the first slide got for us? All right, if you're, in, if you're 21, if you're 21 tonight and you live to 80 and you have left home perhaps and you uh, have a pizza a month, let's say you eat a pizza a month, you've got 708 pizzas until you're 80, okay? So there's a lot of pizzas. There's a lot of pizzas to eat. You've got, you've got a lot of pizzas to eat. So you're in no rush, all right? You can, you can probably eat every pizza known to man and invent some along the way. There's plenty of pizzas. You're in no rush. You're in no hurry. What else have we got ahead of us? Ooh, 59 summers. A whole lot less summers than pizzas. A whole lot less summers than pizzas. Still, that's a big number, 59 summers. You can do a lot of time in a summer, right? 59 summers. Now, the thing about summers and pizzas, they kind of, um, they happen every year. So when you're halfway through your life, you're halfway through your summers, okay? But not everything in life is like that. Let's have a look at the next one. All right. If you are 21 and you've left home and you catch up with your parents, let's say they live in Auckland, then you catch up with your parents once a week for half a day. Let's say you go there for Sunday lunch and you spend the afternoon with your family. You have already spent 95% of all the time you'll ever spend with your parents. You've already done it. You've got 5% of your time ahead of you. 5% of the total time on this earth you're going to spend with your parents is what lies ahead. If you have a sibling who's left home, uh, maybe lives out of town, and you catch up twice a year, let's say you catch up for Christmas and you holiday for a week a year, you have already spent 92% of all the time you're going to spend with that sibling, you've done it. You've got 8% ahead of you. How's that for scary? <laughs> oh, 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 scary, scary. All righty, pressing on, pressing on. What's the next slide got for us? All righty, any people a little bit older than 21 in the house? Sheesh, look at this. <laughs> scary. All right, 50 years. 50 years. And we'll push the slide one more time. All right, 51.9 years. All right, tomorrow is my birthday, and I turn 52 tomorrow. All righty, so that's me. That's where I'm up to, okay? I'm nearly 52. I'm hours away from 52. Let's see what I've got ahead of me. All righty, 
I read about six books a year. I should do more, but that's about what I read, six books a year. So if I live to 80, and I hope I live well beyond 80, I've got 174 books to go. 174 books. Now there's tens of thousands of books out there, and um, I've got six a year. And I can get 174 in. So how many books I'm going to read? So I've, I should choose wisely. I've got fewer books than many of us in the room. What else have I got ahead of me? Oh, okay, KFC. Now KFC, you can, you can measure the time since I last had a KFC, not in days, not in weeks, not in months, not in years, but decades. I last had a KFC 20 or 30 years ago. I cannot even remember when I've had KFC last time. Oh, crazy, eh? Crazy. No issue with KFC. Love KFC. I just, I don't know, I just haven't had KFC. I just don't choose KFC. If I got served it up tomorrow for lunch, I'd eat it. But I may well have had my last KFC 30 years ago. I may never have KFC again. I don't know. Maybe I've got one more ahead of me. Life's a funny thing. Life is short, right? That's what we've agreed. Okay, so first message, life is short. All right, take that thought, put it up here. All right. However, there is a plan. There is a plan. All right, next slide. This is my mum and dad, okay? And I have got this much time left to spend with my parents. Okay, my parents died about three years ago. And um, on the night my father died, my dad um, was in perfect health. I mean, perfect health. Okay, so we were, uh, we were on the phone. And God is good because uh, I look back at this now and I just think, boy, God's uh, fingerprints are all over this event that happened in my life. Uh, I was on the phone to my father and uh, we were yakking away about Christmas. We were just coming up, we we're about 10 days out from Christmas and we we're having a chat about what we we're going to do for Christmas. So he just got back from choir practice. He'd been at golf earlier in the day. He, Earlier that week, he'd been tramping. So my dad was you know, great health. And um, we're chatting away, and we're talking about Christmas, talking about uh, going on a tramp over the Tongariro Crossing early in the next year. And he was turning 80 a few months after that. So we were talking about all these things that were coming up. So, um, and um, it, it, was a, it, was a, uh, it was an amazing conversation in the sense that my dad and I you know, love each other dearly, but the family as a whole, we're quite... Um, we're quite pragmatic people, and so when we talk, we don't tend to chat. We just you know, exchange facts, really. You just kind of go, what time will I be there? Uh, what should I bring? You know, and quick conversations, da-da-da-da-da, and all done. Tied up and on to the next thing. But this particular conversation, and I don't know why other than really God led it that way, um, went for about 40 minutes, a long conversation. I was at home. Uh, there were no kids getting their fingers jammed indoors. Dinner wasn't being served, the other phone wasn't ringing, no one was knocking, and I had a long conversation with my dad. And um, I got to tell him all the stuff you would tell someone if you knew they were going to die. So uh, I told him I loved him, I told him he was uh, a fantastic dad, and if I grow up to be half the man he is, I'll do doing all right. I, I, I called him all that, we had a really good time together. The last thing he said to me, and possibly the last thing he said to anyone, as he went to hang up the phone, is he said, thanks for calling. And I laughed because he called me. And we put the phone down. My dad went to the fridge, pulled out a bottle of cream for supper, and dropped dead. Right there, just dropped it, instantly dropped dead. And I found out about the next day. My point being in that story is that um, there is a plan. There is a plan. And you know, at a global level, I think you know, we've got a good idea of how the plan is going to pan out. We know the good guys win, right? In the end, the good guys win. We've got a few pointers, a few markers, we've got a few ideas of what the plan is, but a lot of the detail 
um, we don't know. And God moves and illuminates um, our lives all the time with detail, always speaks and, and, um, and um, um, uh, livens up the plan, I suppose, as, as we go. Next slide. So there is a plan. We don't really know the plan, but we do know the plan maker, and in that we can have just absolutely tremendous confidence that we do know the plan maker. Next slide up. So here's an example. These, uh, these two here may be well known to you both, uh, Joseph and Mary. Uh, Joseph uh, found that Mary had fallen pregnant, and uh, in the, um, in, in the well-intentioned belief uh, of wanting to spare Mary the shame of, um, of, this, uh, of this event that had happened, he went about uh, divorcing her quietly. He wanted to do all he could to uh, protect her from the shame and uh, set about doing what he believed was the right thing until an angel appeared uh, to him in a dream and said, Joseph, it's okay, it's all right. This is all part of my plan. Uh, this is the Son of God. I want you to go ahead and marry Mary. And um, so God intervened, uh, revealed some of the plan. There's a plan. We don't understand it. But the Bible says we see us through the glass darkly. The Bible says men make plans in their hearts, but the Lord determines their steps. So we, 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 um, we operate always in this place of, uh, if you like, um, uh, well-intentioned belief. But in the end, we, um, we rely on ultimately on God to lead us in his ways. Another picture. Okay, this chap, this is Jesus. Uh, and um, he, uh, even he, even he in the Bible, it talks about um, uh, uh, events in his life where he said things like, uh, when it concerns the, the last days, the end of times, uh, he says, no man knows the hour, not even the sun knows the hour. Only God knows this. He says in other parts of the Bible that I go about doing all the things that God tells me to do. I operate as I hear and receive. And he, he clearly operated in a place of tremendous communion with God and communication. He was on a really um, uh, uh, finely tuned communication line and was able to operate as God led him. Alrighty, next slide. Okay, so we've got, we've got two points now. Okay, life is short. We don't know the plan, but we do know the plan maker. Okay, third point. The things you can count, don't count. Alrighty, next slide. This is a guy, this is Johnny Cash. Uh, Johnny Cash was a country and western singer, died only a few years ago now. Um, quite famous, quite successful, very, um, you had all the, the things that the world might offer. Uh, fame, fortune, wine, woman, songs. He had a bit of a period there where he got into drugs and got into kind of a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't so good for him. Came right in the end, I believe he found God in the end. And um, this, if this wasn't the last song he recorded, it was one of the last songs he recorded. The song called Hurt, he didn't write it. Um, but it's got an incredibly moving video clip that goes with it. It's a vignette full of his, um, of, of the um, successes in his life, I suppose. But they're filmed in this way that's very poignant, very sad and very sobering. And what he says, the line there, you can have it all, my empire of dirt. What he's talking about, he's talking about all of the stuff, all the stuff you can count that doesn't count. The money, the cars, the houses, the stuff you can count that doesn't count. Next slide. This guy is Jack Nicholson. Um, we might remember him. He played a fantastic... He's an actor in Hollywood. He played a fantastic Joker in one of the Batman movies. Um, but he's famous for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and a whole heap of great movies. He really is uh, a talented actor. There's what, that's what he said in an interview just a few weeks ago. I have had everything a man could ask for, but no one could say I'm successful with affairs of the heart. The Telegraph said about him, um, he has a reputation as something of a womanizer, but Jack Nicholson has admitted 
He is now lonely and is facing dying alone. Again, Jack Nicholson. I mean, just I'm not trying to pick, pick these guys out, but you know, or, or make um, a personal point. This, this is this is very human. This is very ordinary. This, uh, you know, all the success that the world might offer, in the end, it's nothing. It's the um, it's just ashes in your mouth. Ashes in your mouth. The stuff that the world might offer. Alrighty, next slide. So the Bible says it well as well. It, uh, again, um, uh, Jesus speaking, you know, what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Who wants to be the richest man in the graveyard? I mean, really, what, why? Next slide. Okay, the Bible, uh, a parable Jesus told, uh, just similar vein, about a man who enjoyed an unusually good harvest one year. And he had such a good harvest, in fact, that he said to himself, I'm going to uh, make a whole bunch of barns. I'm going to lay up this wealth. Uh, I'm going to live off the harvest for the rest of my life and never work again. And the Bible says that God spoke to him and said, You fool, this very night your life is required of you. Men make plans in their hearts, but the Lord determines their steps. The things you can count don't count, and the things you can't count do count. Next slide. The things you can't count do count. All right. Let's read a little bit of stuff here for you. Um, All righty. So Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more he will clothe you. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. Your father knows you need these things. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Things you can't count, do count. Alrighty. So what have we got so far? Life is short. Alright, what's the next one? There's a plan, and we know the plan maker. Oh, there we go. It's all right there. The things you can count, don't count, and the things you can't count, do count. Alrighty, next point. This is where we start to pull it all together. Okay, God is way, 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 way smarter than us. Way smarter than us. If you ever find yourself in a, um, in, a, in a debate with someone way, way smarter than you and um, you're disagreeing, guess who's likely to be right? The other guy, right? Isn't it? I mean, if he's way smarter and you kind of, um, you're in a debate and he just knows a lot more, um, chances are you're on the, on the wrong side of the debate. Chances are the smart guy knows the stuff. So a lot of stuff um, that God says, in fact, the Bible says... Um, about God's wisdom, it says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and even the very weakness of God is stronger than the strongest of human strength. So God is way smarter. So he says stuff in the Bible, and sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. We kind of go, oh, I, just don't, I don't get that. Why, why would I live my life that way? It doesn't seem to make sense. And yet God is way, way, way smarter than us, is saying this is a good way to live and in the end it will, you will um, be well served to live life uh, in these ways. 
This is um, from, um, from Psalms. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Alrighty. Okay, I'm going to pull it all together here. Right. Okay, God does not need our money. God does not need our money. Ooh, that's a bit of a shocker, isn't it? God does not need our money. So God's way smarter than us. And he does not need his money. It says here in the Bible, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So picture this, the cattle of a thousand hills. They're all his, not just the cattle. The hills as well. Okay, he owns all the hills as well. The world and all that is in it. The world and all its people belong to him. God is not short of a bob or two. All right, he's not short of money. God is uh, more than able to do anything he determines to do. Yet, he does ask us to give. He asks us to give. So what's that about? The smartest guy in the room reckons we should give, and yet it's all his anyway. So he's not... I think we've agreed, right? If the smartest guy in the room is saying we should give, he's probably onto something. He's got something that maybe we don't fully understand. So why does he want us to give? Well, there's a few reasons for it. Um, uh, uh, Michael touched on it right at the end of his, um, of his uh, uh, presentation, uh, talking about the principal benefit for giving is for us. Uh, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And there is no doubt about it, it is a powerful and malignant influence on our lives. It has the potential to be a powerful and malignant uh, influence on our life. It can cause us to, um, it, uh, we can become greedy, we can become selfish, we can become controlling. Uh, money has a very unusual effect on a lot of the ways we think. And the act of giving uh, is a very powerful antidote to the influence of money in our lives. Because it's, um, it hurts, it's painful, it runs right against the grain. Because um, there's nothing in us that wants to do that, but it's good for us. It is good for us. Nikki and I have been giving. Nikki um, is my wife, and I, uh, both separately, uh, have been giving since we started earning. I started working probably when I was about 15 or 16. I picked fruit in Hawke's Bay, and um, I gave. I just gave right from the get-go. You hear, um, we've heard the word tithe a few times before, which if you're not familiar with that, it just means a tenth. Um, there's nothing in the, uh, in the New Testament that says you have to give a tenth of your money, but I find it's a very useful yardstick. It's really useful benchmark to go, well, at least I'm going to give that. The Bible in the New Testament, which is kind of the, um, is the bit where, uh, you know, where Jesus is, if you like, revealing the, um, uh, the second covenant uh, to, uh, to the church, uh, it talks there about giving uh, freely, giving um, cheerfully. It says God loves a cheerful giver. Figure out what you want to give, what you feel you should give, and then give it with a cheerful heart. So God wants us to give because it's good for us. It's good for us to do that. It's, um, it's, so it's not only is it an act of, um, uh, it's a good discipline, it's also an act of obedience. He does say to give. And uh, he says in the Bible that what he really wants from us is not our sacrifice, but our obedience. 
if he, uh, if he wants us to do something, he wants us to, uh, to obey. Not because he's sort of looking for to control or puppeteer our lives, but because, again, if we come back to the smartest guy in the room, the guy that's made us, God who's made everything around us and made us, he knows us better than we, knows that we know ourselves. Sometimes the stuff we think we want um, is not the best thing for us. Billy Graham's wife, I just read this just yesterday or the day before, Billy's Graham wife said, if I got everything I wanted when I was a young woman, I would have married six different men. So she prayed for the, she'd meet a guy, she, this is the one, she prayed for it and she didn't get it. And she said, why am I not getting what I prayed for? In the end, of course, she met Billy Graham and, um, and they got married and she was very happy and content. But we don't, know. the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? We can't know it. It's, it's um, even to ourselves. We don't even know ourselves that well. But God knows us and we can trust him. He is utterly and totally faithful. And let me tell you about giving. Here's the thing about it. It is painful. I don't want to pretend for a second it's easy. I mean, you heard the sacrifice that Michael's family made to um, obey and to follow God and to where they felt he was leading. That was not, it's kind of, it's a little bit easier to sit here now and look back and say, oh, yeah, but look how it's all worked out and it's all so good. When you're in these things, it's never like that. <laughs> it's never like that. Everything ahead's cloudy. You don't know what the future holds. You're just acting on faith. But here's the thing. If you want to play for the All Blacks, you've got to go out and beat the streets. You've got to get fit. You want to put on muscle, you've got to go to the gym. If you want to get an education, you better study. If you want to build a business, you better work your butt off. It's nothing in life that is worth doing comes for the wishing for it. Giving is a little bit like that. It builds muscle. As you kind of uh, step into it, you'll find good things start to happen. You'll start to build muscle in all the right areas of your life. So I guess look, what I want to do is probably wrap it up, um, wrap it up there, uh, encourage you to think about, um, about these disciplines, about these things you can invest in in your own life to get the best out of your life. Life is short. We've seen it, right? You can see where I'm up to. I've got, you know, about a quarter of the page left to go. Um, life is short, I can tell you. It feels like a heartbeat when I was 21. You know, it wasn't that long ago. It feels like it's just happened yesterday. But here I am, 52 tomorrow. It happens quick. So life is short. Invest into yourself. And invest in yourself by trusting God. Trust God. I'd look, we've just done some crazy cool things in our lives that at the time we've stepped out have seemed like just, well, there's more crazy than cool. It's been, you know, really difficult stuff where God has spoken into our lives and said, do this. And we thought, oh my goodness, if I do that, then all of these bad things are going to happen. Um, and God has been faithful every time. I've got a, a, a life that um, I've, um, I've been blessed. doesn't mean we've got had easy. We've had it tough plenty of times. But I can tell you this, God is faithful. He is trustworthy. There's nothing else you can depend on. Your bank account you can't depend on, your health you can't depend on, your relationships, your job, all of that stuff can disappear in a heartbeat. The whole lot can disappear. God is utterly faithful, utterly faithful. If you trust in him, you will never be disappointed. So let me commend that to you. Remember those points. Life is short. We don't know the plan, but we do know the plan maker. You, the things you can count, don't count. The things you can't count, do count. God is way, way smarter than us, and he doesn't need our money. But, oh, last slide, that's right, that's what we've been talking about. But he does want our hearts. That's why we give. All righty. Thanks, guys.